TNT Audio Publishing presents The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles by T.L. Dawnstar. Volume 2, Rogue Cannon. Book 1, Seven Cycles Later. Chapter 2, Space Pirate Broadcasting. Rivets! Screamed the woman. Her barking voice, carried down the long and empty and rusty corridors of the knackered ship, bounced off the decaying interior hull wall and zoomed back down towards her scarlet face. Around her, cables snaked their way across the muddy deck of the battered old freight hauler as banks of jerry-rigged splice terminals spat out reams of data bits and net tunnel jack code onto cracked and filthy vid monitors. The clock was ticking. Not literally, it was a digital dot matrix display, but she was cutting it pretty close if she was going to vidjack the 1800-hour synth-port pricing update broadcast and fact-blast the hells out of any viewing public within the range of her pirate signal. In the distance, she heard a clanking, and then a clunking, and then a hiss of red-hot stinking steam burst forth from behind her. Ugh, cooling system again. What she wouldn't give to be back in her admittedly equally squalid office on Spaceport 17. Sure, the artificial gravity was on the blink, the food printer was stuck on brazilless hog porridge, and the din produced by her neighbor's neo-scrunge techno-jazz fusion band would be enough to make renowned time-traveling music journalist Jasper Passage go back in time and kill his own grandfather, just to make damn sure he'd never have to sit through a set by the outfit known variously as Hot Posset, Dominant Lick, Bad Cabbage, and Jeff Moretti's cryptic democracy. But at least the place had solid net access. The freighter grumbled and vibrated around her, as if hurt by her nostalgia for the semi-solid ground of a spaceport. She tapped the interior hull wall affectionately. The bucket of bolts might be falling apart around her, but the old girl had gotten her out of more jams than the late Carl Dark Cruiser had had hot sausage dinners, and with both the cult of the cone and her furious ex-editor on her tail, Felicity Phobos appreciated a last-minute getaway as much as the next gal. The chrono indication circuit showed 17.58, almost showtime. If she didn't find that damn dog in the next two star mins, she'd lose her transmission window. She cupped her large but elegantly feminine hands to her mouth and yelled, Rivets! She yelled. Through the non-functioning bulkhead seal came an objectively annoying high electronic bark. <laughs> followed by the metallic clattering of robotic paws scurrying through the disused cryopods and abandoned container units. The little robodog skidded to a halt just short of the woman's feet. He barked excitedly and smudged his oily paws all over her already quite oily single suit. Give me that, you overgrown klepto can opener! She snapped and snatched the flashing component out of the dog's jaws. Oh, you've been nothing but trouble since the day I built you and I scram, you lousy mutt. We're live in 30. Rivets whimpered and scuttled away. If he'd had a tail, 
which he didn't because Phil hadn't managed to gather enough opposable plasteel tubing to assemble one, it would have been tucked between his legs. Phil rushed over to the bank of splice terminals and inserted the vital component just as the time display showed 1759.30. The monitor sparked into life with a shuddering crackle and code filled the screen. She was in. Phobos produced a miniature holocam and broadcast unit from the nearby storage rack and plugged in the transmission cable into the terminal. Okay, here we go. Triggering the jack code, splicing mainframe, bypassing frost defense matrix, disabling control AI, running opening titles, and three, two... Free citizens of the galaxy, this is Phil, and it's time for the facts. Brought to you by Visit Deltron, the Deltron system, snake-free since 73. Okay, kids, here's the skinny. The net's buzzing with rumours of shenanigans happening on Garland Minor that are so fishy they make Deltron's upcoming Hypertripe Festival look like an expired Hypermart own brand spicy tuna protein shake. You know that stinking adhesive processing plant that Hector Fluono spat out onto the shoreline a few cycles back? Well, it's been taking more than retired racing ponies, if you catch my meaning. We could be looking at a level six conspiracy here, people. One that involves StarCore, the Council, Drockel 9's board of executives. There is no telling where the trail of sticky breadcrumbs ends. Rumor has it, even Chairman Helen Basanko herself has got her hands in the cookie jar. How is that going to play with the voters this election day, huh? Now, I know what you're going to say. Phil, you'll say. How does your hair maintain the glossy shine of an award-winning Irish setter while simultaneously having more volume and bounce than a hopped-up new sprawled milk raver on an inflatable castle? A. Thank you for noticing. And B. The question you really ought to be asking is what in the holy hells is going on down in that salt bowl? I'm telling you folks, this one's big. I can feel it in my kidney. There's a whole bunch of shady truffles buried down on that planet and this news hog plans to snuffle them out and take them to market. You'll know more when I know more. Stay tuned to Phil Facts for the real truth, the whole and nothing but the signing off. Oh, and by the way, it's your Axian Ice Panther vomit conditioner and cycles in low gravity. She ended the record-breaking rant with a determined point at the viewer, and according to the analytics overlay on the monitor to her right, there actually just was one. She killed the transmission and slumped back into a nearby hover chair. From the sleeve of her soiled jumpsuit, she produced a synth-sig and lit it up. She watched as the purplish vapors rose into the musky, recycled air. The swirling patterns metaphorically grabbed her mind and forcibly flung it back seven cycles to that abandoned mineshaft on the pits. She rarely thought about her old sort of friend Carl, but every now and then he'd pop up in her thoughts and she'd cackle uncontrollably at the utter ridiculousness of a total idiot like him saving the whole damn galaxy by ridding it of that cursed cone and melting himself into space dust in the process. Truth be told, he should have been remembered as a hero, a savior of billions, but in a galaxy this dirty, there wasn't much room for the truth. Not that she'd ever let that stop her. After the incident in the Vellum Cluster, she'd made good on her promise to Dark Cruiser and whipped up the whole sordid affair into a thrilling page-turner of an e-article, one that kicked some powerful asses and named some powerful names. It was, without a doubt, her finest work to date, 
and had the potential to be an even bigger revelation than the council canteen bootleg egg scandal. If only that no-good editor of hers, Paul Plasmahart, had had the balls to publish the damn thing. Footnote. Metaphorically speaking, of course, members of his reptile-like species actually have, biologically speaking, a bewildering array of testicles. The old media dinosaur had claimed that it hadn't passed the paper's quality assurance check, and while it was true that the article contained a record-breaking amount of spelling and basic grammar errors, Phil knew that was just a smokescreen, and that some shadowy bastard had paid Plasmaheart off. After a daring midnight raid on the main data storage facility on the seabed of Topoco 8, she blew the whole damn thing wide open. The faked murder of Dank Starhole, the cult, the cone, Olive, the guardians of the Talik Kalik Zokkatfar, all of it. The story hit every current affairs forum, newsbot info stream, and conspiracy-based pornography hub on the net, and no one believed a damn word of it. The article was washed away in the never-ending piss stream of netweb misinformation, and her reputation was dragged through more mud than the leather-clad Meltic wrestlers in her search history. She always suspected the cult would hit back with a smear job so intense that it made the Galactic Health Board's Universal Cervical Health Campaign of 2006 pale in comparison. But the scale, speed, and volume of libel suits, counterclaims, and eternal blood feuds that followed the story was astronomical. It was at that moment that she knew her days in the mainstream media were dead, and the vidjacker Phil Facts was born. Just as the hot wind of fury at the injustice of the rigged system was beginning to batter the poorly fitted windows of her mind, a harsh ringing cut through the howling, and she snapped back from her interbook catch-up session and back into the present. I swear to the gods, one of these days I'm going to rip out your vocal processing unit and turn you into an automated backbot. Now can it, you rusty mongrel? It's just an incoming transmission. Incoming transmission. She sat bolt upright, and her eyes widened faster than the growing wealth inequality since the current council chairman had won office six cycles ago. Had they finally tracked her down after all this time? She'd been so careful. She'd cloaked every power output, masked every drive signature, encrypted her transcode, and pinged the location geotag through a dozen data hubs on the dimnet. She'd even gone so far as to spray paint the hull of the ship void black with a high-gloss pigment that fooled most mid-range visual sensor circuits. Felicity took a moment to assess the situation. Okay, let's be smart here. It ain't like the bad guys call first before blasting you out of the sky. Not the good ones, anyway. Good bad guys or not, there was no way she was dumb enough to answer the hail or stick around to get boarded. Get your dancing shoes on, Rivets, cause it's time to go-go. Barked Rivets. Computer! She shouted. It was at this point that Phil remembered she had cannibalized the motherboard of the onboard AI to construct an automatic ice crusher and cocktail shaker. Regretting nothing, she legged it to the bridge on her plasteel toe-capped boots and stopped dramatically at the standing controls that control the main engine thrust controller. Cranking levers and slamming spring-loaded action switches, she powered up the drive shaft, and the ship sang with a muted groan as the engines stumbled into life. Time to play pin the tail on the tailgater. She reached over the dense nest of wires and haphazardly arranged circuit breakers and flicked on the localized sonar detection array. The ping back from the scan showed the outline of a Humea-class luxury liner, 
well past her prime, but more than capable of outrunning the bulky freight hauler Phil was currently struggling to coax into life. Oof, great, this guy. Hang on to your rivets, rivets, we're going for a ride. Just as the severely under-lubricated fuel injection rods began to grind into position, the vessel was rocked by a blast so violent that it made vid director Dan Fang's debut feature, Tuzakian's one industrial grade chainsaw, look like a Sunday address from the Hyperpope. The ship clattered and sparked as the control panel exploded into an underwhelming display of electrical fireworks. Phil was thrown clear and fell with a thud to the disgusting floor a few meters away. A crumpled ball of legs and hair, she clutched her throbbing ribs and with moderate effort rolled herself onto her front. The telltale hot egg smell of a transbeam filled the space around her, and from a blinding brown energy crackle, a scaly reptilian foot stepped forth, and a snarling voice spoke through meaty puffs of a synth cigar. Well, well, well. If it ain't little Philly Phobos. Been a long time, kid. What's the matter? You don't pick up the phone for your old editor no more, the voice said. You got any idea how much money I'm in the hole for because of you? Oh, come on, boss. I know I help myself to more than my fair share of office supplies, but a few hollow staples and a couple of pallets of safety ream couldn't add up to all that much. Always with the jokes, this one. Well, you've cracked your last lies this time, missy. I'm taking you in. Taking me in? You're no cop, Polly. Just a washed-up, gin-soaked old media dinosaur sellout who wouldn't piss on a journalist with integrity if she were on fire. Unless there was a few cubits to be snaffled up on the side, that is. Snappy as ever. Well, that sharp tongue of yours is why I hired you in the first place. But that little stun of yours on tobacco pissed off some mighty important people. I got half that damn council up my ass ripping up all my funding. Not to mention advertisers and investors pulling out faster than an unprotected prom king at Lover's Point. I spent more time with my goddamn lawyers over the last seven cycles than my own lives. All because you had to run the cockamamie dog through the story. Hey, where'd you go? Phil restrained her instinct to giggle uncontrollably, and instead remained perfectly still. So I guess at least the Hibotorexians is true after all. Could it come in handy? Boom! If Paul Plasma Heart was shocked, he didn't show it. He'd lost count of how many times people had exploited his movement-based vision over the cycles for a cheap gag, and while he had fallen for it literally every time, he had ceased to be surprised a long time ago. Thoroughly disappointed by the lack of payoff and beginning to get criminally bored, Phil sighed and asked. Look, I know you're angry, but don't you think the seven cycles trapped on this floating tetanus trap is punishment enough? I got a show in 30 sermons, so are we done here? Oh, kid, we're just getting started. With a snap of one of his hilariously disproportionate hands on the end of one of his hilariously disproportionate arms, two more transbeams burst into life behind her, and a pair of hulking Class 87 Combat Max galumphed towards her. She heard the spiraling whistle of their integrated phase busters cycling up. She raised her hands in the age-old gesture of surrender and executed a top-level scowl at the dinosaur-like alien across from her. How could she have been so stupid? She guessed part of her knew that this day would come eventually. You didn't stick two fingers up to one of the most powerful media barons in the galaxy and expect to get away with it forever. The mechs closed in on her, and she felt a cold plasteel barrel pressed against the back of her head. You got any last words, kid, before my boys here knock you out? Sure thing, boss. Why don't I have them on your desk by the end of the week, huh? 
Phil glanced over his big fat shoulder to see rivets scrambling about in the darkened corner of the deck. The annoying little shit was busy leaping up on his powerful little legs to wrap his powerful little jaws around the EMP generator's primary power activation lever. Why a disused freight hauler jerry-rigged into a mobile broadcasting platform even had an electromagnetic pulse generator had always been a mystery to her, but she silently thanked whatever esoteric ship designer had deemed it a necessary component as a haphazard plan began to take shape in her racing mind, and her face struggled to suppress a little smirk. Plasma Heart shook his massive tooth-filled head ruefully. <sighs> you could have been one of the greats, Philly. I truly mean that, but uh, you just never learn to play the game. Fellas- Wait, wait, wait! There was one thing I wanted to say. The gruff editor took a long, overly dramatic drag of his synth cigar and sighed. He knew it was a mistake, but Phobos always did have a way of talking him into things. Out of the somewhat substantial respect he still secretly held for his ex-employee, he acquiesced. Okay, but you better make it quick. Once in your damn life. Sure, I'll be I'll I'll be quicker than a greased Wellevin water weasel at the Wando System Grand Prix. She replied in a frankly obvious attempt to stall for time as Rivets continued his jumping. You just watch me, mister. I just have to say one little word. something for every tactical excursion at the Rimpoint Retail Asteroid Warehouse Clearance Sale and Product Innovation Show. So whether you're reenacting the Battle of Windy Hill, <laughs> battling a plasma storm on Actilus, camping round the back of her bins because she won't let you see your kids. Ted? Oh, shit. Or rocking out at an all-night milk rock jamboree. You'll be looking good and wearing rugged. With deals on new and moderately soiled combat puffers, elite cargo kilts, multi-cam polymer modular cut pieces, and much, much more. Featuring special guest appearance by celebrity hard bastard Rick Rock. You won't want to miss this cycle's R-R-A-W-C-S-A-P-F at Rimpoint Retail Asteroid, just off into System 55. Bonsoir, madame. I did not see you there. Here, let me get you out of that wet spacesuit. That's better. Now let me, how you say, jog you a nice hot chemical bath. A glass of sparkling nugget juice, madame. And now, the pierce de resistance. We wish, right, girls? He may just be a fantasy, but new Ladyfinger synth cigs from Tobacco Interplanetary are the stuff of dreams. 
smooth, crispy, tangy, with elegant hand feel and pleasant magenta, lady fingers are expertly machined for humanoid female consumption. Uh. New lady finger synth eggs for her. Long, slim, and as pink as her lungs once were. Warning, combining ladyfingers and cigs with hot baths, nurgle juice, last cats, and Frenchmen may lead to intense hallucinations, vomiting, warts, farting, and death. Fetch! The encouragement from his mistress was all the motivation the robo-dog needed, and with an excited bounce, he leaped high into the recycled air and clamped his articulated jaws around the activation lever. As the weight of the metal mutt pulled down on the control stick, a blinding flash of blue light emitted from the emitter, and the deadly mechs at her back slumped down with a floppy droop of a rookie balloon animal artist's first attempt at an ulkic sand otter. The deck was plunged into darkness, and the cracked monitors and display screens flickered out of life, and the pervasive hum of the ship dipped into the deep silence of deep space. Phil felt a terrible dread creep through her stomach and up her spine and into her brain. After so long living and working on the old girl, the low rumble of the vessel's vital systems had become as natural a soundtrack to her days as her own breath, and the sudden lack of it sent her into a mild, if totally warranted, panic. Spaceships just weren't meant to be this quiet, and if they were, it usually meant that something was very wrong, and that any second you might find yourself tits deep in a black, unforgiving vacuum. Mercifully, the silence was broken almost immediately by a rage-fueled roar unleashed from the face of Paul Plasmaheart. Phobos, recalling the time she'd gone undercover to investigate the Spaceport 6 human statue trafficking ring, stood as perfectly still as a long unattended flute of sparkling Nurgle juice. The Jaraxian's vision might be worth about as much as stocks in Uncle Dennis and Auntie Val's authentic Earth-style sausage palace and shoe repair emporium after the recent shocking dog meat revelations, but thanks to a pair of top-of-the-range cyber ears, erroneously paid for by purloined funds from the paper's Christmas party fund, he had the pin-sharp hearing of a big bat. Nice trick, Billy, but you can't hide forever. She could hear his snarling breath looming closer and closer, and closer, and closer, and closer. She felt the heat from Paul's synth cigar warm her face. She struggled against a burgeoning coughing fit as the stinking vapors swirled and snaked their way up her nose and down her throat. Her breath was beginning to fail, and her lungs were screaming horrific obscenities at her. I didn't want to have to do it like this, kid. I really didn't. But I got bills to pay and people to bribe. And the cult will pay just as much for you dead as alive. She wondered which of the many splinter groups that had broken away from the main group after the destruction of the universe cone he was working for. The real cult of the cone lacked the resources to pay off an already ludicrously wealthy man like Plasmaheart. New cults were nothing more than a loosely organized collection of disgruntled homeworld canteen workers with an axe to grind. And cult classic, the only faction still controlled by the Patriarch, if rumours were to be believed, had supposedly fled the galaxy altogether. That left only the Cult of the Cone, spelt with a C for cult but a K for cone, the Cult of the Cone, with a C for both cult and cone, the Provisional Cult of the Cone, 
and the various net-based spoof groups such as The Twilight Cone, The New Korean Demilitarized Cone, Cone in 60 Seconds, Cone You Believe It's Not Butter, and Erogenous Cones. But those guys were just in it for the pathetic sense of accomplishment that came with generating increasingly tortured puns and a subsequent admiration from total strangers on the net that they needed to fill their sad, empty lives. Footnote. Due to repeated personal attacks, the Ask the Author section of Dawnstar.net has been shut down. Could be her intelligence was out of date, and some new, well-organized faction with deep pockets or piles of dirt had sprung up. She was mentally trawling through the reams of data she'd collected on potential cult activities to assess whether this was the case when the backup power system kicked in and the deck was illuminated by weak emergency lighting. Through the soft green glow, Phil saw Paul struggling with a tiny arm to reach into his front left pocket. With a speed and efficiency never before displayed by the lazy lizard, he attached a round ceramic disc to the main control console and placed a small plasma charge at its center. Phil gasped and took half a step forward towards the deadly technology. Immediately drawing the attention of the Jaraxian, he turned his massive head to look at her and held out his little hand. Last chance. One time, Arthur. This ship's going down, and you can either go down with it or turn yourself in. No dice, lizard brain. There's as much chance of me doing that as of you actually having the balls to print anything beyond trashy celebrity gossip and puff pieces for your corpy sugar daddies. <sighs> Fine. Have it your way then, Philly. But make sure you get a good over it. He activated the plas charge, and the glass shattered, and he vanished in the brown sparkle of a transbeam. Don't call me Philly! Phil screamed to the empty deck. She ran over to the disc and gripped its curved edges. She looked down, in terror, at the vial of Ferrum Comedenti bacteria, a nasty little bioweapon that fed on metal. Iron Eaters, that goddamn maniac put Iron Eaters on my ship! With all the strength she could muster, she heaved at the illegal weapon in a vain attempt to release it from the control console. No good. An excellent quality gravlock held it in place, and she could see the metal around it began to fizzle and spark as the atoms started to vibrate and crack open. The ship's huge mass would buy her some time. Even the most genetically advanced forms of iron eaters available on the black market would struggle to digest the vast surface area of the hulking freighter. Some time, but not much. <laughs> Phil was uncharacteristically quiet as she struggled to think of a way out of this mess. The freighter had no transbeam capability, and it wasn't like she had anywhere to go even if it did. Not this deep into the middle rim. No escape capsules either. Freight haulers like this one were designed to operate unmanned. She was surrounded by powerful transmitters and broadcasting equipment, but by the time a distress signal was sent, there'd be nothing more than rusty dust floating in space, and her along with it. As much as she hated to admit it, there was only one option. The path she swore she'd never walk down again. A life she'd turned her back on for damn good reason. Though her brain rejected the idea on moral grounds, her legs seemed more than up for it, and they ran with all the speed they could muster as the deck beneath her eroded and dissolved. She burst through the bulkhead of her quarters, leapt over a pile of filthy clothes and even filthier magazines, and slammed into a gunmetal gray cabinet on the far side of the cramped space. Felicity furiously flicked through the myriad of jackets, jumpsuits, promotional t-shirts, and novelty hats hanging from the bent plasteel rail. Come on, come on, come on, where is it? 
The atomic destruction around her was becoming almost audible, and it was fair to say she was happy that she'd paid extra to that dodgy Gramalkanite junk trader for the internal Atmos shell field that kept the air around her breathable. As thin cracks, a pure black space began to snake around her. But if she didn't find what she was looking for, even that wouldn't save her from total hull disintegration. At the bottom of the cabinet was a crumpled and battered old synth tweed jacket. There you are, you sneaky little bastard! Not you, Rivet! She turned around to see the K-9 unit hobbling into the room as one of his hind legs cracked and disappeared from under him. Rivet! He stumbled and fell to the deck, emitting a soft whine as he lay his head against the infected metal. Hang in there, buddy. I'm gonna get us out of here. She frantically searched through the many pockets of the jacket, but came up empty. Then she remembered the ridiculous security measures she'd put in place all those cycles ago. She quickly slid her hand under the nearby Plaza Aluminium Entertainment Center and grabbed for a pair of gold sequined shoes. The cabinet collapsed, and although Phil had managed to get her hand clear with a nanosecond to spare, the shoe was pinned underneath its weight, with only a glinting toe poking out. She grabbed the nearby combined entertainment and MovDisk storage center for leverage and heaved at the shoe violently. It didn't budge, and she succeeded in only dragging the entertainment center towards her, dislodging the holoscreen display from its surface, which clacked her on the head in an undeniably funny slapstick moment. A little help here, please? Rivets hobbled to her side and clutched the all-important footwear between his jaws. He yanked the shoe free in a powerful twist that threw him severely off balance and sent the mechanical creature tumbling towards the deck, where within seconds, the Iron Eaters had consumed his left ear. Phil grabbed the shoe from his mouth before the little kleptomaniac attempted to scarper off with it, scooped him up, and threw him onto the four-poster bed against the far wall. The genuine keckle wood frame ought to keep the poor dog from losing any more limbs for now. The freight hauler creaked and moaned with industrial despair as it was devoured from the inside out. With an undeniable enthusiasm that was at odds with her poor technical execution, she tapped out the opening bars of her once favorite song, Girl, Your Face Is Important, by manufactured boy band, Boy Garden. Footnote. Literally, they are clones with genetically enhanced teeth and arses. The arrhythmic drumming was somehow enough to trigger the hidden compartment in the synth tweed jacket to unfurl, and a miniaturized communicator clattered to the deck. She grabbed it quickly, before it could be consumed along with the rest of the ship. Praying that the device still had charge after all these cycles, she activated the touchscreen display, navigated through the poorly laid out menu system, and selected the audio transmit function. I must be out of my god's damn mind. She said to herself. She hit transmit. This is Agent Felicity Phobos, registered Star Corps operative number TK4283, requesting immediate EU ISRP retrieval under paragraph 793, subsection gamma, uh, Salam, uh, Musaka. Just, just get me the goddamn hell out of here! here, 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 here.